Welcome back to True Crime San Antonio. I am just another San Antonio native, and thank you for tuning in. We're here. Season finale part two and the last episode of the year. Today we finish with the story of Baby King Jay. If you haven't listened to part one, then go back and listen so as to not miss anything. Once again, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have listened to all these episodes all season long. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. We even have people up in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Germany. It's crazy. I love all you guys. Thank you so much. I will be back in the new year with some new episodes. And I already have some on tap, ready to go. But first, San Antonio, True Crimes, this week. According to the DA's office, LaKendra Monique Williams, 30 years old, is charged with assault with intentionally or knowingly causing serious bodily injury to a child. The 18th count indictment came down on November the 22nd. It says that Williams allegedly caused intentional and serious bodily injury to three children, 14 years old or younger, on February the 18th of 2021. The indictment alleges Williams would hit the children with her hands, feet, and chain she held in her hand, making the children kneel on grains of rice. She would also handcuff the children to a bed. Williams failed to provide food, water, and shelter to the children, the indictment states. Williams and her boyfriend, Walter Hawthorne, 34 years old, were arrested by San Antonio police on February the 22nd after investigators found a severely emaciated nine-year-old girl in their care. The two were arrested on suspicion of causing injury to a child days after they called 911 because the child was unresponsive. According to the arrest affidavit, Williams called the police on the 18th saying the child was passed out and cold to the touch. As first responders arrived, they quickly noticed the girl was extremely emaciated. According to the arrest affidavit, the girl weighed 35 pounds, the average weight of a four-year-old child, doctors told investigators. Williams told police that the girl, for some unknown reason, stopped eating and drinking. The girl was taken to Santa Rosa Children's Hospital emergency room due to her condition. Doctors told investigators that the child suffered from extreme malnutrition and had visible injuries and open wounds all over her body. She also tested positive for COVID-19. The girl told doctors that Hawthorne and Williams kept hitting her with a dog leash until she passed out. She also indicated that she had been shackled around her ankles, which doctors found physical evidence of. The girl was lucky to have survived, doctors told investigators. The suspects blamed the girl in police interviews, according to the affidavit. Hawthorne told officers that the girl was evil and was just trying to get them in trouble. I asked him if the victim is capable of starving herself to death in order to get the defendant in trouble and he said yes, investigators wrote. Walter Hawthorne was indicted by a grand jury for injury to a child causing serious bodily injury by omission back in May of 2021, but was found incompetent to stand trial in August. Court records show he was ordered to involuntary commitment to inpatient care, not to extend 120 days. He will be re-evaluated in mid-December to see if he can stand trial. A second and third degree felony is punishable from up to 2 to 20 years in prison. Each of the punishment ranges can also come with a fine up to $10,000. Assault with intentionally or knowingly causing serious bodily injury to a child is a first degree felony. 
Williams could be facing from 5 to 99 years or life in prison and a possible fine of up to $10,000. The indictment came down as I was finishing up this episode and I just couldn't believe the facts of this case. How can someone hurt their children so badly with no regard? If you don't want to be a parent, then don't be one. I get the foster system doesn't have the best reputation, and it isn't the best for some, but I bet these kids would have had it easier than what they had at home. This is why I haven't done a case with kids all season long. I won't ever understand anyone's argument of why this happened, ever. And lastly, A four-year-old boy who doctors said would never walk again after being shot in the back during a drive-by shooting is now walking again. Romeo Aguilar was treated at University Hospital when a bullet pierced his spinal cord on October the 24th this year. He was visiting his grandfather on Woodville Drive with his mom and three siblings when someone opened fire and hit little Romeo in what was called a drive-by shooting. No further reports are available right now as it is still an ongoing investigation. After going through multiple surgeries, Romeo was expected to be discharged from the hospital on December 3rd, but he was sent home early because of his fast recovery. Rosella Aguilar, the boy's mother, spent 24 days in the hospital with Romeo, and even though the family was exhausted, she said they were ready to get back to their normal life. We got home, thank you Jesus, Rosella said. When we walked out of the hospital, we couldn't wait for those doors to close behind us. She said Romeo has been determined to walk, and after pushing himself, he started walking faster than expected. When he started walking, I was like, I know God is hearing all the prayers going up, she said. I know God is answering every single prayer we all have. I am overwhelmed, joyful, and very grateful. It is just amazing to see your child when they said he will never walk again, and as you can see, he is clearly doing the impossible. Romeo is exactly who he was before the shooting, energetic and happy as ever. He was like, I want to go to school and run with my friends, Rosella said. He knows he can do that one day now, which is why he's so determined. I am so proud of him. Even though Rosella is overwhelmed with joy, she said she couldn't help but think about how her son ended up in this situation. It is always going to be in the back of your head but you try not to think about it because so much progress has been made. I am blessed my son is still here, she said. I am joyful, but all in all, it makes me angry inside. As a mom looking at Romeo's progress, it is amazing, but I am still very angry inside. I want answers, I need answers. We need justice for my son. How could somebody be so cruel to do something like this to an innocent baby or for anybody? Anybody on the street could have got that bullet. I just wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Rosella said her heart goes out to other families dealing with tragedies caused by gun violence. Families who are experiencing this, I see how you feel, she said. You always see it, but you never think that it will happen to your family. Now that my family has been affected, I understand that pain. People need to put these guns down because they are not the way. Gun violence is killing our babies. Rosella said she is beyond thankful for the San Antonio Police Department. I can't even say thank you because it is more than I thank you. They could have brushed off this case, but they didn't. The fact that they are so determined to seek justice for my son is a blessing. I never pictured us in this situation, but a lot of organizations have reached out to me too because of the police department, and I am so thankful for them. This has been a tragedy, but it has also been a blessing. 
Rosella said her son's determination to be a normal kid again is inspiring her. He is my superhero for real. Anytime someone thinks he can't do something, he does quite the opposite. He doesn't give up because he's never seen me give up. That means a lot to me. Rosella said they have a strong support system, including Romeo's twin baby brothers. She said even the twins have stepped up and tried to help, wanting to push Romeo around in his wheelchair. They bicker still, but what kid doesn't? This has all brought us together as a tighter unit. Romeo still has intensive therapy to go through before he can go back to school. While police are searching for the suspects, Rosella wants the community to know that she is thankful for their prayers. We were at the wrong place at the wrong time, she said. Some people say there is a dark cloud over us, but evidently there isn't a dark cloud on us because God is making wonders with my son. I wanted to end on a story like this. Little Romeo is a warrior. I have no doubt this kid is going to make a full recovery because he has such a fighting spirit and determination about him. I'll post a link to the video from KSAT 12 on this story. You can see for yourself. With a strong mama and family behind him, Romeo's going to be okay. He didn't deserve to have to go through something like this at four years old, but what he does need is justice. So if you have any information about this case, I implore you to contact authorities. Alright, think we're good. Here we go. Season finale, part two. Warning. This story depicts accounts of violence and adult themes that may be found disturbing and unsuitable for some. Listener discretion is advised. In an interview with the San Antonio Express News, Lupe Sampaio spoke about how King Jay's death and the alleged cover-up has created a rift in his close-knit family. A month after King Jay was killed, his great-uncle Lupe didn't know what to believe and struggled to come to terms with what role, if any, his family played in his great-nephew's death. It's tearing us apart, Lupe said, and we've always been close. When Lupe speaks about his sister Beatriz, who has been charged with tampering with evidence, he struggles to find the right words. His voice softens. He pauses to compose himself. He wavers between disbelief that Beatrice, who he said loves children, would cover up her grandson's death and acceptance of the mounting evidence against her. He has not talked to her since she was arrested. I'm still upset with her, Lupe said. I'm not going to say that I'm not. She went ahead and she lied to us too. She didn't think about what it would do to the rest of the family. When asked if he believes Beatrice was involved with the alleged cover-up, Lupe backtracked. That's what they say. I don't know what to believe. The alleged cover-up has also caused a rift between Lupe and another sister, Rosalinda, whose daughter, Angie Torres, 
was also charged with tampering with evidence and was assaulted by three inmates while in the bathroom of the general population unit. After the attack, Lupe told Rosalinda that Torres wouldn't have been assaulted if she hadn't taken part in the alleged cover-up. Rosalinda sent him a long text message explaining how upset she was by his comments. During the initial stages of the investigation, Lupe expressed frustration that Police Chief William McManus had zeroed in on Davila, who police suspected early on had a role in King J's purported disappearance, saying McManus wants Chris bad and we just want to find the baby. Now Lupe realizes he was wrong in doubting the police. He apologized to McManus. I've just got to accept what's going on, he said, and let the truth come out. Lupe is one of 11 siblings and has always been close with his family. He was particularly a touch of the youngest five, including Beatrice, because they were closer in age to him. When he was young, his father, Pedro Sampaio Sr., was arrested after he broke into the home where his wife lived and doused it with gasoline. Pedro Sr., who had recently been released from prison, was looking for his wife who was hiding in another house. According to Express News Archives, Sampaio carried a five-gallon can of gasoline into the home and said he was going to burn it down along with ten of his children, his mother-in-law and his sister-in-law. He nailed the doors and windows shut and began sharpening a seven-inch butcher knife. At one point, Pedro Sr. had two of his children carry his crippled mother-in-law into the bathroom where he drenched her with gasoline. One of his children escaped and was able to summon a police officer who broke into the house and tackled Pedro Sr. as he attempted to strike a match. Lupe said the trauma unified the siblings. He said his father was crazy, but his mother raised her children the good way. She adored children and was very family-oriented. That's part of the reason he struggled to come to terms with King Jay's death. He said Davila and the boy's mother, Jasmine Gonzalez, would stop by his sister's home on the west side frequently, often with King Jay in tow. He still vividly remembers the first time he held King Jay. He was playful and cheerful, Lupe said. He was a happy kid, a happy baby. Now Lupe looks back on those memories and searches for clues of what was to come. Even in retrospect, he doesn't recognize any red flags. He said Davila, who has five other children and a baby on the way, seemed like a good father, despite his lengthy criminal record, as others have said. I never saw Chris hurt his children, not even spank them, he said. Lupe wonders if the drugs could have influenced Davila's actions. When Davila was arrested the second time, if you remember, he was carrying methamphetamine. He was charged with possession of a controlled substance. Lupe tried to keep his mind off King Jay's death at the time, but it was hard to avoid. Almost daily, he passes the friend's food mart, where Davila reported that King Jay had been kidnapped. Every time he drives by, his heart drops. For two weeks after, Sambayo struggled. The pain was made worse by hurtful comments online made by strangers who compulsively reviewed his family's social media accounts. They don't even know us personally, he said. They don't even know what kind of family we are. One day while spending time with his brother-in-law, Mario Davila, he realized he needed guidance. He bowed his head and prayed to God. It was then that he felt as if his burden had been lifted. Sampaio had encouraged Mario to seek God's guidance as well. The two, along with Lupe's brother Richard and a close friend, chose to attend the church that Sampaio's mother attended before she passed. Lupe takes comfort in knowing that in time the truth will be revealed, even if that truth is hard to come to terms with. 
He's confident that his family will be okay. We'll get over it, he said. It's going to take time, but we'll get by. According to her family, Beatriz Sampaio, then 64 years old, has ovarian cancer that has spread to her bones. Sampaio's court-appointed lawyer, Melissa Lesniak, said in court Friday, February the 8th, 2019, that the 250,000 bail set by a judge in January was exhaustive and oppressive given her situation. Prosecutor Samantha DeMaio called Sampaio a danger to society and urged Magistrate Judge Andrew Caruthers to reject the lower bail. She introduced evidence, including several videos, to counter Sampaio's claim that she's gravely ill and to show that Sampaio has previously concealed a crime by her son, Christopher Davila. What we have is a pattern of behavior by this defendant of basically being a liar and using her lies to cover up crimes, DeMaio said. As the matriarch of a large family, four children, 33 grandchildren, and 18 great-grandchildren, she is not a flight risk, Lesniak said. Sampaio was in a wheelchair throughout the hearing. In the end, Magistrate Judge Andrew Caruthers lowered Sampaio's bail from 250000 to 50000 and required that she get regular drug and alcohol testing while awaiting the trial. During the hearing, Jorge Luna, a social worker from Trinity Hospice San Antonio, testified that Sampaio had been under hospice care since June that year. Luna said he visited Sampaio at a Westside home about 20 times. During his visit, Sampaio reported having a lot of pain, and he never saw her out of bed, he said. During cross-examination, Prosecutor Samantha DeMaio asked Luna whether he would be surprised to learn that Sampaio was diagnosed with cancer in 2000 and that she was capable of driving and grocery shopping. That would be a surprise, he said. DeMaio also asked Luna whether he was aware that members of Sampaio's family were drug addicts who attempted to access Sampaio's medication. We took precautions because that was a suspicion, he said. For a time, that was a concern. He said nurses with Hospice San Antonio kept Sampaio's prescriptions, including methadone and morphine, in a secure location that only Sampaio could access. After Luna's testimony, the mile showed videos from January the 4th, the day Davila reported that King Jay had been kidnapped. According to DeMaio, Sampaio was seen driving a car to a donation drop-off bin on Acme Road, opening the rear passenger door and removing a car seat. In the second video, Sampaio can be seen returning to the donation station moments later, picking up the car seat and driving away. Police later found the car seat three blocks away. DNA results ruled that the car seat did belong to King Jay. The mile showed more videos in which Sampaio enters a convenience store, buys gas, and picks up groceries, including a large bottle of soda. She's not using a wheelchair, cane, or walker for assistance. The mile said the images prove that Sampaio is not as ill as she claims. To Lesniak, the videos merely show that Sampaio is mobile. The mile continued her case against Sampaio by drawing on criminal records. In June of 1998, Sampaio was arrested for theft after she attempted to sell a computer that Christopher had stolen from Judson Independent School District. Officials also suspected that Davila had tried to set fire to the school. She lied at that time, saying to some witnesses that he committed the fire and to other witnesses, oh, he was at the hospital with me. Even then, she was using her medical condition to cover up the crimes that he committed. In May of 1999, Davila was convicted of arson and incarcerated in a juvenile correctional facility record show. The theft case against Sampaio was dismissed. About that same time, Sampaio was charged with obtaining prescriptions by fraud, 
she pleaded guilty and was put on probation. She was lying and she was committing fraud, the mayo said. And she has graduated from lying for her son for theft, burglary, and arson to now homicide. Lesniak acknowledged that Sampaio had a short criminal record but no convictions recently. The accused physical condition is deteriorating rapidly, she wrote in a motion to reduce bail. The more time that elapses, the less likely she will be able to make any recovery, if that is even possible at this time. Sampaio remained in that wheelchair throughout the hearing, saying very little. At one point, she turned around to acknowledge her husband Mario and her daughters. Sampaio was released after posting the $50,000 bail a couple days later and after outfitting her with an ankle monitor. Defending himself for the first time publicly, the father of eight-month-old King J. Davila sent a letter to San Antonio Express News back in February of 2019, maintaining that his son died accidentally after falling from the bed at his northeast side home. Christopher Davila wrote that he was experiencing back pain the day of the accident. He said he went into the garage to smoke marijuana, leaving his son unbuckled in the car seat on the edge of the bed. Once I was done, I came back inside and laid down and pulled the blanket a little, Davila wrote. That's when he fell. Davila said he got up quickly to pick up King, who was already unresponsive. I just hugged my son crying, not thinking straight at all, Davila wrote. All I was thinking was I lost one son and I was going to lose all my other sons. Throughout the letter, Davila acknowledged that he had made a mistake by smoking marijuana and leaving King unsupervised, but what happened afterward was an accident. He wrote that he would do anything for his six sons, who were between the ages of 3 and 12. I know it was so stupid of me and unresponsible of me to do, he wrote. I'm so hurt by my actions. I'm going to have to deal with that for the rest of my life. Losing my son and losing my family everything that I worked so hard for. Davila wrote he was expecting his seventh child with Jasmine Gonzalez, whom he calls his wife. Davila said his mother Beatriz Sampaio and his cousin Angie Torres knew nothing about King's death. That contradicts statements by police and evidence that show Sampaio and Torres helped Davila cover up King J's death by staging the kidnapping. All three have been charged with tampering with evidence. Police have hinted that they do not believe Davila's latest account. Davila was also charged with child endangerment, possession of a controlled substance, and being a felon in possession of a firearm. The Bear County Medical Examiner's Office concluded that King died of a blunt force trauma injury. It ruled his death a homicide. That determination can be different than the charge brought by police. Davila said in the letter that the pills authorities found on him belonged to Sampaio, who takes methadone, morphine, and fentanyl to treat terminal ovarian and bone cancer, but he didn't say why he had them on him. He said the gun belonged to his cousin. The San Antonio Express said that the letter appears to be authentic, and his handwriting is similar to that what was found in court records, and it came about a week later after an inquiry made by a reporter. In the letter, Davila does not address the stage kidnapping or how he placed his son in a backpack and buried him in a field on the northeast side. Davila said he could not provide many details on the advice of his attorney. For the most part, Davila's story is similar to the account he gave to police when he was arrested in King's death and burial, but there are a few minor inconsistencies. In the letter, Davila said King was unresponsive immediately after he fell from the bed. According to police, Davila told them that King was awake initially and that he tried to keep the boy from falling asleep. 
He also told police that he had been playing video games prior to the accident, a detail he did not include in his letter. Davila said he and Jasmine both worked full-time to support their kids. He wrote Child Protective Services has never had a case involving him or his six kids, whom he had with three different women. Five of the children, all except for King, spent a majority of their time in the care of their mothers, though Davila had visitation rights. Davila said he hadn't used marijuana in a long time, but decided after being treated for back pain at a hospital, a claim he said could be confirmed by hospital officials. Davila said the aftermath of his son's death has been compounded by intense scrutiny from strangers on social media. Not only am I and my wife still grieving my son's death, we are also having to deal with people threatening us, he wrote. I understand that the people from San Antonio deserve an explanation and they're entitled to their own opinions. But come on, we're already dealing with so much right now to be dealing with things like that. You understand, right? Christopher Davila did not appear in court as expected February the 27th, 2019, as his court-appointed attorney and hired lawyers tried to determine who would represent him. He was transported from the jail to the courthouse, but bailiffs didn't lead Davila into the courtroom, where several members of King's maternal family waited. King's maternal grandfather, Fernando Yi, expressed frustration that the hearing was delayed by legalities. He said he was hoping Davila might go on trial Wednesday. That likely won't happen for months, if not a year. What he did to King, he has no excuses, Yi said. I feel bad. I feel angry. Yi, who was accompanied by King's great-aunt, Maria Morales, and several friends, said he wants justice for King. Investigators and prosecutors have kept the family in the dark about the legal process, he said. Yi grew emotional as he spoke about King, whom he described as a happy and cheerful baby. He showed a video of the boy, laughing and smiling as he swayed back and forth in the baby swing. Yi and his wife Josephine are the primary caregivers for four of King's half-siblings. They often watched over King, too. An article published in the San Antonio Express News at the end of March of 2019 had interviewed Martin Gonzalez III, then a 25-year-old inmate at a Northeast Texas prison. Gonzalez claimed he is the father of King Jay and was shocked to learn the boy had died in January and that his estranged wife's fiance Christopher Davila claims to be King Jay's father and had a hand in his death. I know that baby boy is my son, not his. That's my blood. I know it, Gonzalez said. He was also stunned to find out that his wife Jasmine Gonzalez filed court papers last summer seeking to divorce him and declare Davila the boy's father. Gonzalez said he doesn't remember signing the documents. The papers bear the notary stamp of someone who died almost a year earlier, which would render them invalid. Gonzalez was in the dark about all of this until he received a letter at the prison from the San Antonio Express News. It asked about his relationship with his wife Jasmine, from whom he was estranged. At the time, she was being questioned by police about King Jay's disappearance. The couple hadn't spoken more than a year and he never met the baby before he was sent to prison for four years for an unrelated crime. He didn't know the baby's name. Desperate for answers, Gonzalez told a fellow inmate about the letter. His friend's wife found a newspaper clipping about King Jay's death and sent it to the prison. As soon as he saw the photograph accompanying the article, Gonzalez knew King Jay was his son. He looks like me, Gonzalez said. That's my hair, that's my eyebrows. 
I just put my head down and started crying, he said. Jasmine Gonzalez declined to comment about Gonzalez, except to say that Davila is King Jay's father. King is me and Christopher's son, not Martin's. He didn't know who King is. He needs to move on, she said. Davila's defense lawyer, Bob Behrens, said he believes Gonzalez is King Jay's father, based on conversations he had with Davila, though he did not want to specify exactly what Davila said. He said Martin Gonzalez did not want to care for King, so Davila took responsibility. My impression was and has been that he was trying to do the right thing, Barron said. Jasmine Gonzalez was trying to get divorced and he was willing to step in and say I'm the dad so that nobody had to worry about who was supporting who. According to court records, Martin Gonzalez signed documents last year acknowledging that his wife was divorcing him and denying he was King Jay's father. Davila also signed the paternity form, acknowledging he is the boy's father. Records show that Gonzalez's signature is different from his signature in previous court records, which date back to 2011. Several of the documents were stamped by a notary, Harry D. Avalo, who had died in May of 2017, almost a year earlier. Asked about the discrepancy, Avalo's widow, Sharon Avalo, said that her husband's notary seal and a stamp bearing his signature that her employees at A&A Insurance, used for correspondence with clients, are both missing. She said she believes they were stolen, perhaps by a client. Avalo said that one of her employees reported that Avalo's signature stamp was missing in April of 2018. She didn't know that her late husband's notary stamp was also gone until a reporter had asked about it. It is not clear whether Jasmine Gonzalez or Davila knew the notary stamp used in the records was being used by someone who was not a notary. Barron's cautioned against rushing to judgment. If their purpose was to only have him assume responsibility for the child, it wouldn't be good and it is illegal to use somebody else's notary, but what I'm saying is they might have been doing it for the right reason, Barron said. I haven't been able to come up with any other reason why they would want to do that. Barron said the fact that Davila was willing to parent King shows that he would not purposely hurt the boy. There was a terrible accident and Christopher reacted very badly and poorly to it, he said. Why would he want to sign up to care for the child unless he wanted to be the child's father? And if that was the case, then why would he do anything purposeful to injure the child? Gonzalez said he met Jasmine in 2012 after she initiated a conversation on Facebook. Gonzalez said he was instantly attracted to her and they had similar interests, including how she liked to wear sports jerseys. Gonzalez said they dated for several years. In 2014, the pair had their first son. They got married in 2016 and had their second son a year later in 2017. Around that time, Gonzalez had several run-ins with the law, including for failing to meet the terms of probation from a 2011 possession of cocaine. In January 2017, after several short jail stints, a George ordered Gonzalez to complete six months of treatment at a behavioral health facility for young offenders. After Gonzalez was released in June, he suspected his wife might be dating other men. He said he confronted her about it several times and threatened to leave but stayed for the sake of his children. In July or August that year, Gonzalez found out that his wife was pregnant. In November, Gonzalez was arrested again, this time for a fight involving four men and a woman. According to police, at one point, Gonzalez grabbed a female forcefully and placed a knife to her throat. Gonzalez remained in jail while he awaited a trial. He didn't hear from his wife. He too didn't make an effort to reach out, 
even after his wife expected due date passed. Gonzalez said he believes Jasmine named King after him. When he was younger, Gonzalez was part of the Latin King Street Gang, and later, after the pair started dating, Gonzalez called Jasmine my queen. She called him my king. The pair got matching tattoos. He got a king of hearts, and she got a queen of hearts. Both still have them. After learning of King's death, Gonzalez added another tattoo to the dozens that cover his arms and neck. In black ink, he sketched a portrait of King with a boy's head and his arms. Above the portrait is a black cross with the letters RIP. I look at this photo every day and I say I wish I could have met you, Gonzalez said. Sometimes I blame myself because King was around a guy who didn't love him. The indictments for all three came down on April 3rd of 2019. Davila was indicted on a raft of charges including injury to a child, causing severe bodily injury, a first-degree felony, possession of a controlled substance, and being a felon in possession of a firearm, also adding a new charge, tampering with evidence by concealing a human corpse, a second-degree felony, punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Angie Torres and Beatrice Sampaio were indicted of charges of tampering with evidence. During testimony at a bail hearing for Davila on April the 11th, Jasmine Gonzalez defended her fiancé and described him as a good man who worked hard as a forklift operator to support his four children from previous relationships. She was pregnant with Davila's child at the time. He's not the same person that he was before, she said, referring to Davila's past affiliation with Tango Orojon, a San Antonio-based prison gang. She did not speak specifically about King Jay's death. The boy who died in January would have turned one on that day. During the court hearing, Davila's lawyer asked a judge to reduce Davila's $1.25 million bail, arguing the amount is excessive, considering that Davila is not a flight risk. Davila, who was facing five charges, could get life in prison if convicted. The proceedings took a turn after prosecutors asked Jasmine if Davila is King's father, as they have both claimed in the past. She paused before answering. No, she responded, offering no further explanation. Jasmine, who was nine months pregnant at the time with Davila's fifth child, appeared relatively calm throughout her testimony. She wore a bright red t-shirt, the same color as Davila's prison-issued jumpsuit. Throughout the hearing, Jasmine provided few details for the judge, giving one-word answers. She said she didn't want to testify, but was doing it so she could support Davila. Davila remained emotionless throughout the hearing, stopping only once to wipe tears from his eyes at the mention of King. According to Jasmine, Davila took home six dollars to $700 a month as a forklift operator at Universal Forest Products before he was arrested. She said his employer withheld a portion of his paycheck to cover child support for his four children. Later during cross-examination, prosecutors clarified that Davila's employer withheld wages from his paycheck because he failed to pay child support, resulting in active warrants for his arrest. Prosecutors also questioned Jasmine about Davila's lengthy criminal history, including 10 arrests, mainly in 2009, for arson, assault of a family member, aggravated robbery, possession of a criminal instrument, and various drug charges. Are you aware of his family violence assault arrests? Prosecutor Samantha DeMaio asked at one point. I heard about it, Jasmine answered. Were you aware that she was pregnant at the time he assaulted her? The male asked, not referring to the victim by name. 
No, Jasmine said. Did you hear about how he punched her in the face? I didn't hear about that either, she said. Later, DeMaio asked whether Jasmine was aware that Davila had failed to appear in court for several of those charges, and once again she said she was not aware. So it would be fair to say that you're not really very up to date or familiar with whether or not he would appear in court, DeMaio asked. About his past? No, I'm not, Jasmine said. But from him now, from what I know of him, I know for sure that he will appear for court because he's not the same person that he was before. Barons objected to the prosecutor's claims, pointing out that Davila's criminal history is nearly 10 years old and that Davila is no longer a gang member. Of one of the cases in which Davila is accused of failing to appear in court, Barron said Davila appeared the following day. Earlier in the hearing, Jasmine told the judge that her family does not have the money needed to pay a portion of the $1.25 million bail set by a judge in January. Bob Barron's Davila's lawyer said that Davila's family would have to come up with $125,000 if it were to pay the standard 10% that is charged by a bondsman. He said that that amount is excessive, especially considering that Davila is not a flight risk. These bonds were set to keep him in jail, he told the judge. We're asking you to reduce the bonds for an amount that the family can afford to remember the purpose of a bail is to secure his appearance in court and not to keep him in jail or to punish him. In the end, Magistrate Judge Andrew Caruthers agreed with prosecutors and declined to lower Davila's bail. In May of 2019, the siblings of Baby King Jay were removed from their grandparents' home by Child Protective Services. Four boys between two and eight years old were taken from the home of Fernando Yi and Maria Josephine Morales, the maternal grandparents of King Jay. The newborn of Christopher and Jasmine was also put in CPS custody after officials took the baby from the hospital just a few days earlier. The children were removed due to a genuine and strong belief that the children may be at imminent risk. CPS didn't elaborate on the circumstances that led to the agency's actions. They did say that the removal had no additional ties to King Jay's death. A hearing set two weeks later had Children's Court Associate Judge Richard Garcia order the four siblings and infant to be placed with their maternal grandparents, stating that the state Child Protective Services had failed to meet its burden as to why they were abruptly removed. Judge Garcia based the decision on what was said in the best interest of the children. Judge Garcia also determined that the children's mother, Jasmine Gonzalez, could have twice weekly supervised visits with her children. Also one of the fathers was told he could see his children once a week, also supervised. The four siblings were taken from their grandmother and step-grandfather after Jasmine Gonzalez claimed that her stepfather had sexually abused her as a child, according to a CPS caseworker's testimony. Irene Wunderlich, a family-based safety service specialist, said CPS believed the children were in danger for a variety of reasons, including the allegations of abuse. It wasn't just one thing she testified, it was a summary of many things. The newborn baby was taken from Jasmine by CPS because she was currently living with her father, who was a registered sex offender. When the children were taken, they were living in two separate foster families in Comal County. Fernando Yi testified that he had no idea why Jasmine, his stepdaughter, claimed that he had sexually abused her. Yi, who grew emotional several times during the hearing, denied the allegations. Yi said that he and his wife had cared for the four children since they were born. He testified that he hoped the newborn baby would be placed in their care too. A welder, 
Yi said he rearranged his work schedule to care for his step-grandchildren. He said he drops him off for school every morning and picks them up in the afternoon. However, a CPS caseworker painted a different picture of the family. On one occasion, she testified she saw one of the grandchildren, a two-year-old, leave the home without supervision and walk onto a residential street before returning. On another occasion, she saw several of the boys coming and going also without supervision. And okay, I get it, the two-year-old running around unsupervised is a concern, but the older kids, I don't quite get. It's not like it was when we were kids. I don't know about you, but grandma and grandpa kicked us out the house after breakfast and we came back for lunch, but other than that, we didn't come back until the streets light came on. But I get it though, under the circumstances, they should have been taking a lot more precaution. Wonderlick said she was also concerned that King had a fractured arm that was never detected or treated by the grandparents. It was discovered in autopsy. However, she admitted under cross-examination that the fracture could have happened while King was being cared for by Jasmine or Davila. Dozens of people filled the courtroom and adjoining conference room on the day of the hearing, including the father of the two eldest boys. Martin Gonzalez, the father of the two younger boys, listened to the proceedings by telephone from a maximum security prison in Northeast Texas, where he was serving his four-year sentence for aggravated assault. Christopher Davila, the father of the newborn baby, was represented by an attorney. All parties, except CPS, agreed that the five children should remain in the care of Morales and Yi for now. However, attorneys representing Jasmine Gonzalez, Martin Gonzalez, and Davila said all three had family members, a brother, mother, and uncle, respectively, who should be considered as caretakers. He asked the agency to begin providing services for the grandparents, including counseling services for the boys. Garcia also ordered CPS to conduct several home studies for the family members who have expressed an interest in becoming guardians of the children. Home studies are conducted to ensure the children's safety and needs are being met. In June of 2019, Christopher Davila again refused to show up for a court appearance for a trial setting. A judge can sign an order to force an appearance if there is a trial pending. However, since this was a first court setting since Davila's bail reduction hearing, he was not forced to appear in court. Meanwhile, outside the courtroom, a 38-year-old Elizabeth Sampaio told media gathered in the 227th State District Court for a hearing that Beatriz Sampaio was a mastermind of everything that had happened up until this point. She's a manipulator, Elizabeth said of her aunt. Elizabeth said that when she was a child, she and her cousins would be left in Beatriz Sampaio's care and that the woman would give the children tranquilizers so she could get her chores done. She'd give us Xanax to clean the house, she said. Elizabeth Sampaio said she believes Davila, her cousin, called his mother when he realized King Jay was dead. She was adamant that Beatriz Sampaio put the rest of the events into motion. You have no idea what you're dealing with here, Elizabeth said of her aunt. She said Angie Torres, her cousin, was goaded by their aunt into helping Davila. Elizabeth then appeared to question her aunt's frailty. Beatrice has been sick since before I was born, she said. I'm 38 years old. She's been dying all my life. When asked if reports that Beatrice and Pio's battling terminal cancer are true, she said maybe. She said King Jay's death has split the family. Beatrice and Pio and Angie Torres had court hearings scheduled before Judge Kevin O'Connell that week 
but both cases were reset until after Davila was tried. Beatriz Sampao, who was out on bond, used a wheelchair, covering her face from the media as she left the courtroom. A judge reduced the bail for Angie Torres, who had been held in the Bear County Jail for six months, unable to pay her bond at $250,000. Judge Angie Caruthers reduced it to $75,000 after hearing her relatives testify that they had not tried to raise any funds because the amount was just too high and they didn't have the money to post the bond for her. Judge Caruthers told Torres' mother, Rosalinda Sampaio, that Angie, if released on bond, would be under house arrest on GPS monitoring while living with her at the apartment. He added that if Torres were to get a job, she could only leave the house for work. Torres' sister, Sonia, testified that she would help her mother with her sister and assist her in finding a job. After more than two and a half years, on June the 21st, 2021, Christopher Davila was sentenced to prison in connection with the death of King J. Davila, who we now know was his eight-month-old stepson. The now 37-year-old was found guilty on a charge of injury to a child causing death in the 227th Criminal District Court. Davila pleaded no contest and was sentenced to 40 years. Davila must serve at least half of his sentence before he will be eligible for parole, which would be in 2039, with time already served. Judge Kevin O'Connell took into consideration Davila's other pending criminal charges of tampering with evidence by concealing a human corpse, as well as unrelated charges of a felon in possession of a firearm and possession of controlled substance, which were dismissed upon the conviction. King Jay's death is a tragedy made even worse by Christopher Davila's cowardice in attempting to conceal it and avoid responsibility. This plea does not bring back a precious life loss, but it does hold Christopher Davila accountable for this horrible crime, District Attorney Joe Gonzalez said in a statement. Davila's sentence came after his attorneys rejected a 50-year plea deal offered to him in February of 2021. On October the 15th, 2021, under an agreement with prosecutors, the now 48-year-old Angie Torres pleaded guilty to tampering with evidence with intent to impair a third-degree felony. She was given 10 years in prison. Judge Kevin O'Connell of the 227th District Court took two other pending criminal charges into consideration in sentencing her to prison, which were dismissed due to her conviction. The judge gave her credit for the nearly three years she spent in jail awaiting trial, making her eligible for parole in two and a half years in 2024. Beatriz Sampaio is the last to be sentenced but her trial was reset for the 11th time. According to court records, she had her GPS monitor removed by order of Judge Caruthers in July of 2021. It may be due to her failing health. She faces up to 10 years in prison, but will be at the mercy of the court due to her failing health. Her next court date is set for January the 24th, 2022. I don't have words that can express the anger I felt about this story. I don't know if I believe Davila's account of how baby King Jay died, but I want to because the only other evidence would mean that he hurt that precious baby boy and that just breaks my heart. Davila told police that he just tried to keep the boy from falling asleep. He checked on the child a few hours later and discovered he had died. I feel like that statement speaks greatly about the truth. He says he tried to keep baby King from falling asleep but doesn't check on him for hours. I, I just don't know.
the pictures of King online are of a happy baby boy who could easily light up a room with that smile. If you're from San Antonio, you know the pictures, you've seen them. They were everywhere over the last couple years. I truly hope that Jasmine gets her life to a point where she can get her kids back. But more than anything, I hope her kids are happy and can find a way to overcome such a tragic loss in their lives. And that's our story. These last few months and doing these stories for you guys has been amazing. I feel like this is something that I was born to do. These stories, man, they get deep inside of you. They, Reading them, I feel like I'm emotionally invested is crazy. And so, yeah, I got to take a little time off so I can recoup. Probably record a few episodes, get ahead of time, and take the holidays to spend with my family. But I will be back. True Crime San Antonio will be back. I just want to thank all of you who have been with me since day one on Instagram and all the comments and everything. Man, I love you guys. And if y'all have any stories y'all want to throw at me and something you want me to go over, I'll be happy to take a look at it. So if you're a fan of the show, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Let me know your thoughts on Instagram at True Crime San Antonio. Love to hear from you, truly. For the last time this year, this has been True Crime San Antonio, and I am just another San Antonio native hoping to see us through. Take care.